If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to an Iron Bowl edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. You know, I can think of no better way than to spend a lazy Saturday afternoon than watching Alabama just systemically dismantle cross-state little brother Auburn. Uh, And that's what we got to do on Saturday, and that was a phenomenal experience. A couple of the key highlights, and we'll get into the full sort of rundown, a couple of the key highlights that really stood out to me that just really added that extra spice uh, to the experience is uh, watching Gus Malzone very quickly convert to coaching to keep it close. And that may have been his personal game plan uh, from the beginning. Uh, They kicked field goals when they really should have gone for it. uh, If they were being aggressive, Uh, they were ball control in a way that they typically are not. They were really trying to milk the clock uh, and shrink the game in a way that historically maybe they, they haven't done. They've been more aggressive, more fast paced, more sort of freewheeling. And they did, very little of that on Saturday. So they were really playing sort of outside of mold or outside of of character. Bo Nix, the Auburn quarterback, and there's been a lot said about him in, in a lot of different directions. And I'll just keep it between the chalked lines. Bo Nix was terrible on Saturday. He just looked atrocious. Uh, I, think, uh, I think a competent quarterback on Saturday would have been worth 10 more points uh, for Auburn. He was overthrowing receivers, throwing off his back foot. His his fundamentals were just shoddy at best. And uh, there were a couple of times where he just flung the ball up. And in sort of Auburn luck, um, about half of those were caught. But some of his passes, he had open receivers. They were a step. They were available. And he couldn't hit them. Uh, if his life depended upon it, uh, I, I question the decision that he is a starter, starting quarterback uh, in the SEC. There's got to be more people on the planet that can play ball better than what we saw uh, Bo Nix uh, Bo Nicks do on Saturday. Uh, Alabama demonstrating talent uh, across all facets of the game. We'll talk about offense and we'll break down run pass. Uh, we'll talk about defense, all the levels of, of defense, and including you know special teams. Uh, I, I think Alabama demonstrated talent and capability uh, across all facets of the game. Uh, Auburn was outmatched everywhere uh, that that I saw on Saturday. Uh, it's sort of a cute rundown uh, which possession, which uh, position group for each team sort of is better than the other. And there were some tip caps to Auburn uh, at a couple of positions, but I did not see that on Saturday. Uh, I thought Alabama was was uh, was pretty dominating dominating on the day. And to cap it all off, uh, we discovered uh, uh, discovered a new restaurant in Tuscaloosa. Now, it's not brand new. It's been around for at least a couple seasons, and I've seen it recommended a, a number of times, but it's the first time that we went. A place called The Avenues, uh, just off of uh, University, uh, the main drag uh, sort of through downtown. And it was phenomenal. So uh, if you're in Tuscaloosa, you got to hit that up. That is now on my rotation. All right, so let's jump in to uh, sort of the offense-defense breakdown like we do. So Alabama, 42 points, Auburn, 13. Uh, Again, phenomenal day, phenomenal outcome. Uh, We're going to hit some of the highlights in terms of uh, performances that we liked, Uh, and then we're going to call out uh, a couple of things that we noticed that we observed uh, where maybe we have a little questions uh, or maybe we didn't like some of the decisions that were made. Uh, Again, take all of that in the context of uh, this was a pretty thorough beatdown of a rival, and so all of this – uh, is just a celebration of a, of a great time ha- had on Saturday. So Mac Jones, uh, 18 of, of 26, 302 yards. Uh, I know we're, we've gotten sort of accustomed to him throwing for 400 yards, and so 302 looks uh, kind of pedestrian. But let's remember, 302 is a high watermark for, for a quarterback. Uh, let's also remember that he threw for five touchdowns. 
And they were all, you know, each of the individual five, and we're going to break them down. Each of the individual five uh, touchdown passes were phenomenal. And if you're a, a your NFL scout or NFL GM, you look at just these five pla- uh, passes and you say, man, this kid's got something. Can he compete at the NFL? That's to be seen. But what he's demonstrating, and certainly with these five passes that he demonstrated uh, on on Saturday against Auburn, this kid has some capability. And we've talked about it all season, but he continues to put it uh, put it on display. Uh, he had two touchdown passes to Smitty. Uh, one was just a just a brutal uh, pay, uh, pump fake, and that was the first score of the game that really sucked in uh, the safeties and allowed Smitty to just have just. Uh, a wide open field, uh, really get on top of the defense. That was uh, that was amazing. The uh, Smitty's second. These are not in order of gameplay. Just uh, uh, just running them down. Uh, Smitty's second uh, touchdown pass. Matt could have offloaded that ball to Javon Baker, but he knew that Smitty was gonna was gonna streak open, and that that was gonna be a big play. And so he stood in. He took a shot, uh, but delivered uh, just a perfect ball. Uh, to Smitty, and then and then he just turned on the Jets and ran untouched for a long touchdown. That was, uh, in fact, one of the Auburn defenders. He ran himself out of his shoe. He was trying to uh, catch up with uh, with Smitty, but there was nothing doing there. He had two. Uh, Mac Jones did had two nice passes to to Mechie, uh for touchdowns. The uh, there was there was a real nice one at the end zone, uh, six eight yard line, and he faked. They uh, Mac faked the, the handoff and then just stood up and just lobbed it uh, to the back of the end zone. And it felt like one of those plays that I'm going to fake the handoff. If the linebacker comes in, that's going to create a, a separation. And Mechie, you just run to a spot because I'm going to put the ball on a spot and it'll be there when you get there. Uh, that was a thing of beauty. He had uh, the the pass to Jalil was was suburb uh, suburb. Am I saying that right? Uh, superb uh, stepping up in the pocket uh, amongst a little bit of pressure, not great pressure, but a little bit of pressure, and then just hand delivering the ball to uh, Jalil. That's a ball, and this will that, that's a pass, and this will sound a little bit uh, hyperbole, but go back and watch the replay. I watched it a couple times. That's an NFL play uh, when you're sitting around on Sunday and you're watching, you know, NFL quarterbacks and just the things that an NFL quarterback does. They're not necessarily outstanding plays. They're just plays that that NFL quarterbacks make. Make. That's what that pass that Mac Jones made was. Uh, step back in the pocket, you know, surveyed the field, stepped up into the pocket under pressure. And we've talked about that before, and then delivered just a, an incredibly well placed ball uh, to to uh, to Jalil for the touchdown. Nice catch, uh, nice catch by uh, Jalil. Just all five of those were just oh, and then you know the Mechie, the second Mechie one. Um, just down the field to the sideline, uh, very, very reminiscent uh, of a prior Auburn game where Greg McElroy came in um, in relief of uh, AJ and hit uh, Mays, uh, Marcus Mays, for uh, for a touchdown. Very reminiscent of that down the sideline and, of course, beating Auburn uh, on that play as well. So very, very um, – Fine touchdown passes by Mac. Every every one of these were outstanding, uh, and and then just to follow up on a point that we saw last week against Kentucky, where it looked like maybe he was a little dinged up, he was trying to shake out his shoulder a little bit. I didn't see any hint of that. Uh, certainly not in his play, and we didn't see that against Kentucky either. But didn't see any hint of him taking sort of extra reps or extra stretches or sort of that extra uh, to sort of loosen up. Didn't see didn't see any of that. Smitty, I think. You know, we talk about his play being art, and I th- and I think that just continues to ring true. Uh, I think not only will the record books tell the tale, uh, he's going to leave Alabama as one of the best receivers ever to come through here, which is just an incredible sort of stat on its own when you think about even just the the receivers in the the Saban era. If you took sort of the man on the street and said, or woman on the street and say, hey, who are the top five receivers that have played uh, for Alabama even under the Saban years? You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get down that list for for most folks uh, before you get to Smitty, and he's gonna have better numbers than than every one of them. He's also one of the toughest um, fellows that you're that you're gonna see. He's relatively slight relative to some of the other receivers, but he is a tough dude. And and of course, he had seven catches for 171, which just looks like a normal stat line uh, for Smitty. It's it's really really incredible what we're seeing from him. Uh, we're also seeing some leadership from him. Uh, there's not a play that 
that where he's not helping uh, some of the younger guys line up. Uh, and sometimes it's a symbol as a nod or a point uh, or, or he'll gesture uh, a player to move. And uh, he's very businesslike in that. He's, there's, there's no sort of chatty small talk in, in lining them up. He just points where they should be. And uh, I, and we see him doing that with Jovan Baker a lot. And I think Baker uh, is definitely learning from that experience. I want to talk about Najee, but Najee got dinged up uh, and went into the tent really limped off the field and went to the went to the tent. He wasn't in the tent long and Smitty went into the tent. I've never seen a healthy player go into the tent after an injured player. Smitty did that. Uh, uh, Najee was in there just a couple of minutes and Smitty went in to sort of check uh, check him out. And I thought that was a nice sort of teammate uh, leadership thing. We're going to go in and make sure this dude's all right. And then Najee came out and had his best, I'd for my money, one of his best runs of the season after. And so if there was any question, is Najee going to be okay? He answered uh, He answered those. Najee ended up with uh, uh, 11 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown. He also had two catches for 34 yards, which continues to demonstrate uh, his, his versatility on the field and, and certainly his production. But his touchdown run, he ran 39 yards untouched. And and for me, it was absolutely a thing of beauty. Where our seats were, we were in the upper deck, where our seats were when Najee hit the hole and bounced outside, our seats were perfectly aligned with the running lane that he had. And so for a second, it almost looked like he was running towards us. And as soon as he sort of uh, jump cut into the hole, I just blurted out that vision. And I don't want to say I knew that he was going to score a touchdown immediately, but damn it, um, the lane, the blocking lane that was open for him, the green path that he had in front of him, it's very, very easy if you're sitting on the other side of the stands or in whichever sort of angle the, the TV camera had. Sometimes it's hard to see how open a running lane is depending on your perspective of the field. Sometimes if you're looking across the line of play, that play was to the right. So if you're on the left, uh, the, the would, would have been the east uh, stand, then you don't see necessarily the hole because you've got all the bodies uh, sort of across the field and, and you can't see how, how wide of a running lane that is. He had a tremendous running lane. And as soon as he jumped cut, uh, ran, uh, you know, slant through that, uh, that hole, it was off to the races. And, uh, and, and it was just a phenomenal touchdown. That was a great run. Great blocking up front. I'm giving Najee a lot of credit for that. And of course his vision and, and uh, he executed the play, but a lot of credit goes to the offensive line there. They uh, that that hole was just phenomenal. That was incredible. Uh, I think any of us listening here could have could have run through that hole. We wouldn't have gotten the touchdown, but we would have we we would have been able to run through that hole. That was that was so wide open. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about Slade Bolden uh, a little bit. It was good to see him back on the field uh, after his injury last week. And what's interesting, though, is he ever just slightly uh, limping on the field Saturday. And so he looked mostly good to go. But what's interesting is how he was used. He was definitely in on pass routes. He definitely was was put in motion, but it was less aggressive motion. And certainly his pass routes were less aggressive as well. I don't want to say he was running nines all day. Uh, because he he ran a couple uh, a couple of crosses, but uh, he definitely was not doing call it the the junior waddle wiggle, uh, if you will, uh, where he's putting a lot of torque on his ankles. He was running more straight line as opposed to anything else. And even when he went out to field a punt, I think he was out there for his hands, not his return ability. And so that's something that is very very curious to me is we've put uh, Smitty out to return punts. We've put an injured, now more than once, an injured uh, Slade out there to, re- part, to return punts. We've put a PS2 out there uh, to catch a punt. And so much of that is not for the return capability, although we're letting Smitty return it. So much of it is for the sure hands in fielding the punts. Saban's all about possessing the ball, and so we don't want to have someone punt, drop the ball, and turn it back over. Uh, with outstanding field position. So it's interesting interesting to see that we are putting a less than 100% uh, Slade Bolden out there. And I think that, I think that, and maybe I'm overthinking myself a little bit, but I think we put Slade in the offense to run routes to dim as is more of a 
bait the hook demonstration that he's healthy enough to play. So when you see him return punts, keep in mind that he may return it. It may actually be a return. If we only see him out, you know, not playing the offense, because he is a staple of the offense, um, not a a staple, he's a regular within the offense. And so if you go through the game and you never see him on the offense, but then you see him return a punt, you're going to wonder is how healthy is he? And so I think we ran him just enough on offense to – to, to alleviate that question so that when he did return a punt, he was a real threat. And, and, that, and you know, if a player is not a threat to return, then you're going to cover it differently than if he is a threat to return because everyone has to maintain their lanes and, and coverage and, and, and what. And so I, I, think there was a, I think there was a little bit of, um, call it trickery, uh, going on there. Offensive line, we've mentioned them before, but uh, they should just start going ahead and, and engraving the Joe Moore, uh, Joe Moore uh, Award, which goes to the best offensive line of the country. Uh, this may be one of the – well, maybe nothing. This is certainly one of the better offensive lines that we've seen at Alabama. Maybe the best, maybe the second best offensive line we've seen under, uh, under Saban uh, at Alabama. These guys are really – really good. And they've progressed. Uh, you remember the Missouri game, people were on Emil Echior. I don't think Landon Dickerson is playing his best position. I think he's better at a guard than he is a center, but damn, he's, he's really good, uh, at a center. If you're not following it, you know, for those on Twitter, if you're not following, uh, Cole Kubik for no other reason than his post game videos of, of Landon just trucking people, uh, it's worth the follow just uh, just for that. And then I forward, forwarded one out, uh, which is, you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, that's great too. And then I tend to forward those out because, damn, they're, they're so impressive. And he is ruthless. He is savage uh, on the field and you know, putting people on their ass. It is, it is amazing. Uh, he is an incredible uh, lineman. And he's, he's apt to win awards. And uh, Adam, maybe second team, Adam, all SEC, I predicted uh, – land in all SEC and maybe second or third team All-America. I, I don't know, and I've not watched everyone play, but uh, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to find a center that's performing better than Landon. So if he's not All-America, uh, because how many linemen from Alabama can be, uh, and there's multiple candidates, um, he's definitely definitely in the running. So feel great about the offensive line. Now, and again, the quarterback play, the wide receiver play, the tight end play, the running back play, we've hit all the bases here. Uh, this Alabama offense is humming, and we should feel really, really uh, pleased and proud uh, with that. Now, <clears throat> a couple things I saw that I didn't care for or that uh, maybe had a little question over. I thought we were a little conservative going in half. Uh, our Swedish correspondent, Doug, uh, uh, sent me a message basically asking this, the same question. And sort of in the moment, I just gave him a thumbs-up response because – um, and you know, I just didn't want to unpack it sort of in the, in the moment there, but, uh, uh, but absolutely. I thought we were uh, definitely conservative going in the half. You know, I thought there might be an opportunity where, uh, and, and this was sort of the prediction that I had that Sark may sort of take some of the stops out. And it felt like maybe, and maybe this is a sign of maturity for Sark that it's, he, he seemed to put more of the stops in, you know, going in the half, there were four, just over four minutes left on the, on the clock. Uh, it was a it was a uh, twenty one to three ball game, and you know how we always talk about the possession before half and the possession right after the half that you can turn a game, you know, potentially fourteen points. Well, Alabama was getting the ball coming out of half, and we're up twenty one to three. Think what if we had put ten points on the board uh, there? We ended up putting no points on the board, uh, but what if we had put ten points on? What if we had put six points on? What if we had put you know, 14 points on uh, right there. Uh, the game, you know, the game's over. Now you could reason the game's already over, but damn it. First possession out of half, we're up 35 to three. It's a different, there's a different complexion there. And, uh, uh, and, and so obviously that didn't happen. And I think that's certainly uh, due to Alabama being conservative going on the half. If you look at just over four minutes, and then look at and then juxtapose that with the, the scoring drives that Alabama had. Most were under were under four minutes. 
Uh, Alabama was uh, was a fast strike offense, scored 42 points, uh, possessing the ball right at 20 minutes uh, on the game. So four minutes is more than enough uh, for Alabama to score, at least to move the ball down the field. You know, practice the two minute drill, uh, move the ball down the field, and line up for a kick. Uh, use use that in game uh, situation as is more of a training ground. Uh, what we tried to do is take the air out of the ball. Let's run the four-minute offense, uh, take the air out of the ball. That's what we tried to do, and, and we didn't execute it. Uh, uh, we drove, uh, we burned, you know, two and a half minutes, uh, just over two and a half minutes. Uh, it was right, it was right at four minutes, and 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 we punted the ball away uh, with a minute, uh, a minute twenty-three uh, left. Which, you know, if Auburn were running fast pace, that would be an opportunity uh, for them to score. Fortunately. Uh, fortunately they did not, but, uh, you know, we had, we had, uh, I think we ran five plays, four runs. The first two runs, you know, went for 20 yards. And, and you think if we can build upon that, I think that would have been an opportunity, uh, to run a little play action there, maybe not down the field necessarily trying to quick strike touchdown, but, uh, let's, let's get it across midfield. Uh, and, and maybe we're thinking, uh, let's just try to get a field goal here and then see what sort of develops. Uh, but we were very intent to just go into half. I understand it. I just didn't like it. Uh, the, Auburn's a team I'd like to see us run up the score, obviously. And uh, that's an opportunity where we could have been a little bit more aggressive without, you know, trying to slight the enemy. We're just trying, trying to slight the, the the opponent or, or rub it in. Uh, game's very much still in play uh, with a 21 to, to 3 margin. And I think there's – I believe in momentum, right? And so uh, scoring there, I think, carries momentum into the half – and maybe the second half uh, possession where we punt. Maybe if we're if we're riding the wave of an aggressive score there, uh, that maybe that translates a, a, a little bit different. Similarly, we did something very very similar at the end of the game. We got the ball back with uh, right after Auburn scored uh, with four minutes and thirty nine seconds. Uh, we ban- we burned it down about two minutes uh, to to two twenty five. People ran about uh, – Auburn got the ball, and they ran about seven plays after that. They had an opportunity to score there. I know we were all sort of clenching, you know, don't let them get a trash touchdown. Don't let them get a trash touchdown. And I wish that we had been a little more – that Alabama had been a little more aggressive uh, in trying to move uh, move the ball down the field there. Uh, again, we just tried the four-minute offense, tried to run it out. I understand that's what your four-minute offense uh, is for. I still would have liked this to be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe, you know, we're practicing too, right? Let's practice the two-minute drill uh, and see if we can't uh, score a touchdown. I think there – Everyone just wanted the game to be over, so I'm, I'm less sort of judgy on doing that at the end of the game. Uh, but I really wish we had done it uh, at the end of the half. And then, of course, no one's a fan of the Brian Robinson fumble. You know, it was the first play after the interception. Uh, a lot of excitement there. You hate to give the ball right back uh, to the opponent, especially you know right there on the three, the four yard line. Uh, you think that's a touchdown, and then they proceed to march the ball with 96 yards uh, for a touchdown. And you have to think, had we scored the touchdown and kicked the ball off, they probably don't muster that type of drive uh, for a score. So we're sitting there at 42, and I really would have liked to uh, Alabama to to have gotten to 50. And I think if you look at just some of the, you know, certainly the fumble that could potentially get it up to 49. Uh, and in the conser- conservatism uh, going into half, if you look at that and you think, man. There's there's, a, there's at least a field goal to be had there, and so I think there's easily ten to fourteen points uh, that Alabama left uh, on the field just in those plays alone, uh, and then Auburn's ninety six yard drive. I think that was uh, was it twelve plays, seven or eight minutes, five or six, seven eight minutes burned off the clock. Uh, I think that's I think more in a traditional setting, uh, Alabama's going to see the ball uh, there a little bit. So I do think there were points. That, uh, that the tide left on the field. And I'd like to see, especially, you know, if we want to do this to Mississippi State or we want to do this to Kentucky or we want to do this to, you know, a team that we really don't, you know, we're more indifferent about, South Carolina, whatever, then that's fine. Auburn, I don't mind sort of sticking it to them a little bit. And uh, so I would have certainly liked uh, to see a little more aggression there on the offense. Uh, all right, let's go mini game ball for the offense. I'm going Javon Baker. Uh, he certainly whiffed on a uh, on a pass block situation, a screenplay uh, for Smitty. Actually, Smitty had more than 171 yards uh, before that play, and so that was maybe a bad play by Javon. But I want to call out uh, his his performance the rest of the day. It's almost diabolical how many times he was on the field and didn't get a target. It's almost like the directive was 
do not throw to him, which I thought was interesting. And I wonder if defenses are going to start um, start watching that. I mean, you can't not cover someone, but you can rotate uh, your coverage uh, such that you maybe have a, a lesser skilled uh, individual covering the uh, covering the receiver that you don't think they're going to go. Uh, throw to. And so I think we need to watch that. That may open up uh, an opportunity. But what's interesting with Javon is that he continues to play. He continues to play well with what he's being asked to do. And there were a number of times where he was blocking. And, you know, there's certainly the one that he missed, but there were uh, a number of times that he was blocking. It was serviceable. It will only get better. He's a true freshman and he's going to start to get targets. Again, it's diabolical that he hasn't gotten any targets even as much as he's playing. He has seen a lot of playing time. Saturday, he played a lot. I know from TV that might be tougher to see, uh, but number five uh, was out there quite a lot. Uh, and again, it's interesting that he getting, didn't get any targets, but those are coming. Those are going to come, just like we've talked about Jaleel. Jaleel's going to break out, and he has, and it's phenomenal. Uh, we're going to see Javon Baker do something similar, um, and it may be as early as this Saturday. Foreshadowing. All right. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, now let's flip the field and talk defense a little bit. And I'm going to tell you, it, the defense was outstanding. It wasn't perfect. By no means was it perfect, and that's not the objective. But it was outstanding. And the continued uh, demonstration of progress is phenomenal. As Alabama fans, we should all be pleased with what we're seeing on defense. You know, what's interesting, it was about a year ago that I did a, uh, a bonus episode on on uh, Pete Golden, and everyone was down on, on Pete last year. And uh, I sort of put a bottle bet, you know, who wants to, you know, bet a bottle of brown water that I think Pete's going to, is going to rebound the, the team, the players, and uh, the defense is going to, is really going to look good in 2020. And a couple of weeks into the season, I, I was tracking to lose that bet uh, where we are right now. Begrudgingly, I think we have to, I, th- I think as a fan base, we have to say Pete Golden has is, is really, de- uh, has really developed. And, and, and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because damn it, these players have really developed as well. And huh, it's amazing how much better the defense can play without all of the injuries. Um, you know, LeBron Ray's a little dinged up. Uh, but he was dinged up last season and missed almost the whole, the, all, all the season. And uh, he was one of many. Uh, this season, he's really one of one uh, missing uh, material time uh, with injury. And so I think we've got to recognize uh, the defense progression this season. And uh, I think there's a, a tip of the cap uh, to beat Golden. And, um, and I think that's great. Uh, specifically, uh, last last week I, I made something of a prediction that the defensive line we're going to start to see uh, eyeball uh, proof that the defensive line is improving. And I think we actually saw some of that Saturday against Auburn. Multiple sacks. We haven't we sacks have been a low count uh, for Alabama this season. And Saban gets a little testy and says, "Hey, it's about affecting the quarterback. Uh, it's not just sacks." And he's right, but sacks are nice. And so Alabama had multiple sacks uh, on Saturday, multiple tackles for loss, uh, all by the defensive front, and then multiple pressures uh, on the quarterback. So, again, sort of the trifecta of affecting uh, the quarterback. Uh, we're seeing uh, Christian Barmore continue to continue to play well. He started the season with a little bit of a, a bruised knee, and so he continues to get better every week, uh, continues to be very active. Uh, Tim Smith, uh, true freshman, knows is getting more reps, more time. Uh, continues uh, to look good. And there was a near safety, and this is another sort of UG moment, you know, right after Brian Robinson uh, fumbled the ball, the first uh, the, the first or second play from scrimmage, we had a pair of defensive dancing bears that just almost had Bo Nix in the end zone for, uh, for a sack. And they end up sort of running into each other, uh, sort of a, a Keystone Cop situation, and uh, lets Bo, uh, Bo escape. And, um, 
And, you know, but that speaks to the pressure and multiple defensive linemen being in the backfield. You hate the friendly fire situation, but I like that two guys from both, from both sides were both uh, aggressively getting after uh, getting after the quarterback. You know, nine out of ten times, someone's going to grab a jersey and lasso the guy down. Uh, that Auburn one time, they, they, they bump into one another, uh, and the quarterback gets away, and that ends up being a 96-yard scoring drive. And, all the profanities you want to attach to that uh, certainly apply, but um, I, I, I want to look at the positive on that, uh, and and that's the, the that's the play of the defensive line, and we're and we're going to see them improve more, and uh, it's nice to see uh, the improvement that uh, that we are seeing. You know, similarly, the uh, the secondary. You know, we've talked about them seeing them improve over the course of the season. Uh, we saw lots of nickel and dime. We saw some base, but uh, mostly nickel, a little bit of dime. The dime was very predictable on, on you know, long situations, third down situations. Uh, we transitioned to a dime. Uh, shorter yard situations, we did go base just a couple of times, uh, but mostly nickel, which is, you know, kind of the Alabama base. Uh, I call it the Alabama base. Uh, Saban calls the base, you know, just four DBs, but we base out of a nickel. We all know that. Um, uh, I thought Daniel Wright played really, really well. He bit on a fake. And, and so they threw over the top of his head. Uh, fortunately, Seth Williams dropped the ball, uh, but he had he did have seven. Uh, he was in on seven tackles, uh, five he had uh, individual. Josh Job continues just to be very, very physical uh, with this play. He was in on ten tackles, five solo. It was a very, very suspect pass interference. Uh, it was well over the receiver's head. Uh, it was well over uh, Josh's head, although he was able to jump to sort of uh, make a play on it or attempt to. And that was called pass interference on on Josh. I think that was a terrible call. Uh, if uh, Saban gets a letter from the SEC officials uh, apologizing for that, then I think that would be appropriate. Uh, although I do think Josh got away with a hold uh, earlier uh, uh, in the day, hit the, the ball still hit the receiver on the hands, potentially should have caught it. Uh, but maybe the tug on the Jersey impacted, uh, impacted that play as well. So if we're going to call him PI on one, uh, I don't mind acknowledging that he got away with one, uh, on the other, uh, Jordan battle was in on eight tackles, uh, four were solo, which was impressive. It really speaks to, uh, the gang tackling, the group tackling, you know, again, look at these numbers. Uh, Job was in on 10, five, only five were solo. Jordan was in on eight, only four were solo. Uh, Daniel Wright was in on seven, only five of those uh, were solo. So that really speaks to gang tackling, right? These guys are sharing those tackles, and that's what we want. That's that's exactly what we want. We want a bunch of people to, <laughs> where their solos and their uh, and and their their partials are in ons, uh, where there's a gap there, because that means it's a lot of gang tackling. And we're more sure to get the tackle when it's a gang tackle situation. Multiple people uh, closing in on the ball, uh, sort of suffocating uh, the offense. We like to see that. And then what do you say about uh, Malachi Moore and Brian Branch, two, tr- two true freshmen, continue just to develop. Uh, Malachi Moore is getting an incredible amount of praise uh, for his interception as well. He should. It's his third interception uh, on the season. <clears throat> he is a freshman All-America just waiting to happen. And uh, uh, But probably his his best play was on Anthony Schwartz, uh, which is you know considered the uh, the speedster uh, of the uh, of the Auburn receivers. There was an end around and uh, Malachi was able to to chase him down and sort of clip him uh, which was awesome. Which uh, was just an incredible play. His vision. He stuck stuck with the play. Uh, again, Schwartz is one of those players supposed to be, you know, a track star, super fast. I think he's a track star trying to play football. Uh, I think that's sort of the right assessment on him. As an aside, and it's a demonstration of my age, and I'm and I'm comfortable with that. Uh, but every time I hear Anthony Schwartz, I can't help but uh, think that the the Schwartz will be with you. So, anyways, I have to insert that. Uh, and Brian Branch had uh, an interception too. Uh, he's a player that uh, I, you know, I liken them early, earlier in the season, and and I mean this only with the best sort of intent. That Malachi Moore and Brian Branch were like two puppies, right? And they're just playing and fighting and 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 motivating and helping and assisting. 
uh, each other and sort of the iron sharpen iron uh, situation. They're two young guys that say, hey, we can do this and we're going to do it together. Malachi sort of got the, I think Brian got the early jump in camp. I think Malachi got the jump that in the season and we're starting to see more and more Brian Branch. And when you see 13 and 14 uh, out there, 14 is my key. I'll, I'll share a little bit. 14 is my key. When I see 14 out there, I know we've transitioned to a dime because he's the dime back, right? And so uh, I count the DBs, but but there's there's shortcuts too. And so when you see Brian Branch out there, you know they're you know you're in a in a dime this season. But uh, when you see them both out there, you just know, man, some one of these dudes is about to make a play because they they both uh, are are playmakers. And I especially like. What Saban said uh, in one of his in one of his post games, uh, talking about the secondary, in particular the freshmen, uh, but talking about the secondary as a whole, and he said, you know, at this point in the season, they've seen a lot and they've learned. And and he was, you know, he's talking about Kai. You know, Kai's going to make a mistake. He's a freshman, but when he sees it once and he learns it, he typically doesn't make the same mistake. And those are the kind of players that Saban likes. He loves those kind of players because guess what? We're going to make mistakes. That's just walking around stuff, right? We're going to make mistakes. The trick, and this is true in football, this is true in life, don't make the same mistakes again and again and again. Learn from that and grow and improve. And I think that's only one of the reasons, but certainly one of the reasons that that Alabama um, and Nick Saban love uh, Malachi Moore. And so I think this secondary is going to continue to get better. They've gotten so much better over the beginning of the season. And, and you know, Saban even called out the Ole Miss game. They, the p- players saw a lot in the Ole Miss game because Ole Miss threw everything at them. And, and it was a rough day, but Alabama still got the win and the lessons from that game. And now uh, all of, you know, those tricky, tricky dick sort of plays that, that Lane Kiffin ran, not dissimilar from the stuff that Auburn's like, likes to run. And uh, I think the, the, the demonstration of improvement is that Auburn couldn't run those plays. Auburn could not get, have the same level of success running those plays that, uh, that Ole Miss did. You can say personnel. Who had the best, better personnel? Uh, I might. I might. All things be equal. I might say Ole Miss. And that's not to say Auburn doesn't have uh, any any talent. But um, I, I, I tend to like Ole Miss is a little bit better. But nonetheless, I think the 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 development. I think that to me is a point of evidence. It's not the point. It's a point of evidence that the that the secondary has improved. Look what Ole Miss did. And look what Auburn was not able to do with call it a similar talent level uh, and, and a similar sort of schematic approach, uh, if you will. Uh, and so just the defense didn't fall for it in, in the same way. And uh, and so I think that's that is a demonstration of uh, of, of success. Um, linebackers uh, sort of defensive front, you know, Christian Harris, man. This dude is everywhere. He continues to to rack up tackles. I think he had seven or eight on the day. And as I was watching Christian Harris just all over the field make plays, be in on plays, impact plays, I started to think, you know, and I don't like to sort of turn the page on this season so quickly, but it's hard at this point in the season not to look at, man, what do we've got coming back next year? And it's hard not to get excited about the youth on this uh, on this defense. Uh, you know, play with me here a little bit, but, you know, Christian Harris is only a sophomore. And add in true freshman Will Anderson, who will be a sophomore a year in the system next year. He's going to be a beast. Uh, Tim Smith, another true freshman. Uh, it knows he's going to get a lot more time across the defensive front next year. And we've talked about Kai and Branch, also two true freshmen that, um, you know, starting at, at the dime, at the, at the star in, in dime this year, uh, or star in money this year, they might be the starting corners next year. And it's tough to say, right? I don't want to project too far out, but think of the youth there, right? A sophomore Christian Harris, Will Anderson, Tim Smith, Kai, uh, and Branch all coming back. That's a, that's a formidable uh, sort of framework around around which you can put together a defense. So that's certainly uh, certainly excited. Also, want to talk about just stats in general, right? I, it was you know this is from this is just a little bit of an aside, uh, but you know we've probably all heard the saying that statistics are like lampposts, right? Sometimes they're illuminating, and sometimes they support a drunk man <laughs> and they help a drunk man stand up, right? And so I think the stats of this game were kind of like that. Uh, if you look at uh, four of the top five tacklers for Alabama were defensive backs. 
typically what's the old saw, right? When your defensive backs lead your teams, uh, lead your team in tackles, that's a bad thing. Well, typically that's true. Um, but with all sort of the group tackling uh, that we saw, uh, we did see four of the five leading tacklers for Alabama against Auburn were were DBs. That was interesting. Time of possession was incredibly skewed uh, towards Auburn. Is is amazingly so. The first downs were even. Both teams had uh, twenty. In the third down uh, conversions, Auburn had significantly more uh, third down conversions than Alabama did. And so, if you just take these numbers and look at just those numbers, you would have thought this was a much closer game uh, than it in, than it ended up being. Uh, than it really was, and so I think that's an interesting, you know, sort of uh, look at traditional stats versus the score outcome, and it really is another. I keep saying this, right? It's another data point. It's not the data point. It's another data point that just underscores how dominant this Alabama team is. It almost doesn't matter what the stat package is. Look at the final score, because. Alabama is dominating, you know, the final score. We saw this last week against uh, Kentucky. Mac Jones had, call it a pedestrian day, and Alabama still put up 63 points. Um, and, and so this is a team, if you're preparing for it, if you're watching it, how do you stop this team? Because when you think you're stopping them, you're not. Um, and, and, and so that's just, that's one of my takeaways, uh, from this game is just phenomenal. This team continues to look better and better and better. And, uh, you know, there's some teams out there that, you know, Clemson's still really good and, and Ohio state, they might be something. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm going to be nervous when we play Florida. Uh, but if I step back and I say, man, where is the weak spot on this team? They're out there, they're there, but they're closing, the things that we would have identified as weak spots, week one, week two, week three, they're closing. They're smaller. They're not as big uh, of targets today as they were a month ago. <clears throat> and I like that progress. And so if we continue on a similar sort of trajectory with improvement, positive improvement uh, by the team, um, this is, this is, this team is going to be something. And I know Saban loves this team as well he should because, again, perfection is the goal, right? Um, you never achieve it, but it's the goal. And you can see the trend line on this team as the weaknesses get smaller. You know, perf- perfection is all the weaknesses go away. Okay, but that's not going to happen. But as all of the weaknesses get smaller, you think, man, this team is a, is achieving something that um, is, is pretty rarefied. And so hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we can recognize that and we can Enjoy the hell out of it. All right. So mini game ball on defense. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I wrote down Bryce, uh, but I meant Byron. Uh, Byron Young on uh, defense is uh, is my mini game ball. He is an active dude, and uh, you know he was in on uh, uh, three tackles. He was in on uh, a tackle for loss. But he's very very active. And again, he's another youngster. He's just a sophomore, and so add him to the list of. Of the five youngsters uh, that I mentioned just uh, just a minute ago, six had him in there. This guy's going to continue to get better, continue to improve, and uh, but he's active. He's an active piece of the defensive front, and I continue to sort of pound the table that the defensive front is coming along, and we're going to see uh, uh, demonstrable a uh, demonstrative improvement. And I think a, a keen first step in that direction was taken Saturday against Auburn. All right, so mini game ball. Byron Young. Let's shift to uh, special teams and just a couple uh, of interesting points. You got to love Will Reichert. Uh, Saban said he was the best kicker in the country uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think he said that to other people. Uh, uh, famously, uh, Gene Stallings uh, called Saban up after the Auburn game last year. And you got to love Gene Stallings, you know, Beebs, his sort of understatedness. And he says, well, I think if I were you, I'd go get you a kicker. And uh, Saban said, we got one. We get the best kicker in the country. He's just hurt. And um, and uh, we're seeing that, you know, Saban likely was right. Record, it may be the best kicker in the country. Uh, he was six for six on his uh, PATs. And uh, Charlie, I'm going to ask you to stick your fingers in your ears. Uh, but um, Record has not missed a kick all season. Quickly, let's move along. Uh, Charles Scott, Charlie Scott is uh, settling in at punter. He had four points, uh, four points Saturday, averaging right at 30. Uh, eight yards, had a long of 44. He's not outstanding, but he's steady. We talk about saving, setting the floor, wanting to know what the floor is. And I think Charlie Scott uh, helps uh, set that floor. 
for the life of me, I don't know why Ty P. Ryan is Ty P. Ryan is not getting at least a chance. Why is he not rotating it? I have zero clue for that. I do not understand it. Uh, it's got to be, I guess, consistency in practice and uh, maybe more of a line drive kick. Uh, but the dude has a leg, and so I thought Todd, I thought Ty Piran would have a phenomenal season this season. He's not. Uh, he, I don't know that I, he's taking the field, but I expect him to bounce back, and uh, they're going to work on his form. He's, we know that he has a strong leg, and so I'd look for Ty Piran next next season. Uh, but it looks like uh, Charlie Scott is is really uh, sort of taking uh, taking the. Um, the reins uh, at the punting uh, position this year. Uh, kickoffs, we continue to bait the opponent. This is my theory. Uh, we're baiting. You know, I think we can kick it in the end zone. We're just baiting the opponent because uh, we're you know kicking it right at the five you know to eight yard line, uh, and then trying to pin trying to pin them back when they return. We're having some success on that. I guess we could break it down and look at all the numbers uh, on average. Um, our, our team starting. Uh, at the 25 or, or behind the 25, and harf, how far behind the 25? If they're all starting at the 23, then you could ask, was well, it was the risk worth it? If the average start is at the you know the 22, and they would get it at the 25, what's the standard deviation there? Are some teams starting at the 35, and some teams at the five? You know, those those are all sort of numbers that I'm not going to assemble them, but someone should, and uh, and and I bet within the building uh, that's happening. What's interesting? To me, is that we changed sides. Uh, we sort of deviated the side. We, we sort of put a twist in it this week, and so we've been. You know, if you're if you're kicking, you're uh, you're kicking off. We've been uh, sort of coffin coffin cornering uh, the ball, and that used to be a thing. Not many teams do it now because of the fair catch rules. Uh, but we're coffin coffin cornering the ball, and almost all season we've been doing that to the left and against Auburn. Uh, we started to the left, and then we we've, uh, we started doing it to the right. And I, what I noticed when we did that is Auburn was more free in just accepting the fair catch. Uh, they tried to run a couple, and they had a little bit of success there. But uh, for the buying lines, they started uh, just accepting the fair catch, which, you know, for my money, is not a bad deal. Uh, I like the stars on special teams. I saw Josh Job uh, as a gunner. And uh, so I thought that was interesting. We talked about Smitty returning punts. He's a tough dude. I don't love it because it's he has a he has a certain skill set, and we like it and need it more on offense uh, than we do at special teams. He is so good at a at a wide receiver. Let's say he returned a punt, a, a touchdown for a punt, right? And and he gets two or three of those. He gets two of those a game. And you say, well, we still got two touchdowns. Okay, yes, that's true. On offense, though, he makes everyone better on offense. On punts, he's just scoring the seven points. He's not necessarily making anyone else more productive as a punt returner. On offense, he makes everyone else better. They've got to rotate coverages to him, which helps Mechie. Mechie would not be as good of a receiver without Smitty. And so uh, he makes Mechie better. When now, when you have Smitty and Mechie, that makes the running game better. And that gives Jaleel an opportunity. So I love to see his talent. His talent is art. True statement. I don't want to lose that on a stupid punt return. Uh, Eddie Jackson was phenomenal returning the ball. If he doesn't get hurt on a punt return, I think Alabama wins the national title uh, that year. So these are the things that bounce around in my in my brain. You can call me crazy. You can call me less aggressive than than others. Uh, I'll take I'll take all of that. But I know how those dots sort of connect in my head, and uh, I'm sure at least some of you probably uh, probably agree with that. All right. So that's special teams. Uh, let's see. Next up, you hear my shuffling of papers. Uh, so next up. Uh, I need some like dramatic music for this. You know, when the sun finds its home in the westward sky and Saturday night descends upon Tiger Stadium, a number of Tiger fans are going to realize they've got better places to be. And you know what? A number of Tiger players have already decided that they have a better place to be than Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night. Uh, I think the Alabama players are super excited to have this revenge game rebooked. Uh, I think that is motivational. I think that is energizing. I think they love 
the idea of securing the SEC West against the purple and gold in Taiga Stadium. I think this game is going to be a party, and it's going to be an Alabama party. Uh, I think the the margin of victory is sort of along the lines of 45 to 10. Uh, I don't think Vegas is going to put out a 35-yard a line, but they have put out the largest line uh, of Saban's uh, career. And I think they put it out at uh, – I don't know, I read it. I think they put it out at 21, and it was bet up to 25, or it was something something in that neighborhood. Uh, it was bet up quickly. Uh, and I think I'd still take the over at, at 25 because I'm predicting a 45-10 to 10, uh, style ball game. And with losing their leading, their top uh, receiver uh, this week who – has decided to opt out at this point in the season. Curious. Uh, I call that quitting. Several amongst us, I'm sure, do. Uh, but you have to wonder, how are they going to get 10 points? Uh, are they now a tight end-based offense with uh, uh, Eric, who's a phenomenal tight end, but he's still a true freshman? Uh, do they ha- Where do they get the weapons? Uh, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be just a coronation, a long day of coronation for uh, for Alabama. What we need to happen is the, the game turnover quickly so that we can get backups in and uh, not get anyone hurt in that game. That is the rooting point uh, in that game, is that uh, none of the starters uh, get hurt. So there we go. Now, I want to wrap up with a reminder. Legends Drinkware contest is still going on, and the odds remain in your favor. Um, So all you need to do is drop an email. You can do that on the website at alabamafootballpodcast.com and hit the contact button or easy to remember alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com and you can send it direct. They both go to the same place. Drop us an email and we know that sort of Legends Drinkware elevates the brown water and it elevates the game day experience. We are asking which player past, present, I guess not future, but past or present which Alabama player elevates the game for you. So all you got to do is drop me an email that says Smitty or Javi, the Deuce, the Drake, the Snake, the Bachelor, the Big Sexy, the 300-pound bar of soap, Nudie, El Tractacito, Joker, Hawaiian Prince, War Daddy, PST, Cornbread, Mount Cody, Pancake Posse. What? How'd that get in there? All you got to do, drop me an email with your favorite player's name. You know, we all have – a personal player halls of fame, like all of us do. Right. And so who is, who is a recent inductee into your personal uh, player hall of fame? Who is your favorite top tier player hall of fame, a personal player hall of fame, drop me an email and and let us know. And look, I'm going to make this even better. If we get enough entries, I will do a bonus show talking through all of those players, maybe points of remembrance of of those players, uh, big plays, big games, uh, whatever, we'll, we'll just make a whole show out of it. So it's really a no-lose situation. You have a chance to win a phenomenal pair of uh, either tumblers or, or uh, pints, so you get some phenomenal drinkware, some legendary drinkware, and uh, and potentially an opportunity for a bonus show, right? I mean, who could lose, right? So drop us an email, your favorite player who elevated your game day experience. Ready, set, go. In the meantime, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.